I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from Cable One Business, featuring business internet and phone bundles with speed that 50,000 businesses across the country use to power their daily operations. More at business.cableone.net. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, coming together despite our differences and declaring October Racial Reconciliation Celebration Month in Mississippi. It is a continuing effort. New generations come along. I've been involved in Mission Mississippi since 1995. So now we have a whole new generation of millennials that are saying, what is that mission and how does it affect us? Then transgender voters and the voter ID law. Later, Saturday is the last day to register to vote in this year's election. We'll tell you how. And photographs of William Faulkner's property, Roanoke, in today's book club. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. In the midst of racial conflict involving law enforcement in the state and nationwide, a group of Mississippians is coming together for a dialogue and opening of hearts and minds. Governor Phil Bryant is in that group, and he joined Mission Mississippi yesterday in declaring October Racial Reconciliation Celebration Month. Mission Mississippi is a Christian group promoting racial healing in the state. Governor Bryant tells MPB's Desiree Frazier some of our symbols of racial difference, such as the state flag, might help start important conversations. Because it's important that we continue to work on this. Racial reconciliation is not something that just happens once and then you go away. It is a continuing effort. New generations come along. I've been involved in Mission Mississippi since 1995. So now we have a whole new generation of millennials that are saying, what is that mission and how does it affect us? So we continue to celebrate the racial reconciliation that is going on in Mississippi and will into the future. What do you want to see come out of it? I think I'd like to have open discussions. Um, There are tensions that exist across this country now and racial uh, challenges that the whole nation may have. And we've got to sit down and be able to talk about that, have a dialogue, carry on a conversation without feeling frightened that you might say the wrong thing. Uh, Find someone uh, of another race, sit down with them, have a very open and direct conversation. And more more times, well, every time I've seen that experience, they come out as friends. the 
flag being so contentious, how are you going to deal with that in terms of encouraging people to come together and reconcile? Oh, we rise above that. Uh, let me tell you that the challenges that may exist because of the differences in the flag pale in comparison if you look at some of the struggles that are, are go on in violence in neighborhoods and drug addictions, the things that I work on every day to try to do something about. And we also uh, come together in the body of Christ. So uh, that uh, rises above uh, many uh, and all uh, mortal earthly things that may separate us. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Governor Phil Bryant. Reverend Margaret Ayers pastors St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Vicksburg. A member of Mission Mississippi and a native of Montana, Ayers tells Desiree Fraser her privileged background is far from the place where she lives and works now. I've been active in Mission Mississippi for nine years. When I first came to Mississippi from uh, school, I was asked by one of my friends who was also a mentor to come and participate. And ever since then, I've been going to monthly meetings of pastors in the Vicksburg area to kind of get to know each other and to understand a lot about the racial divide. Coming from Montana, I've come from a very white bread, very privileged white bread situation into a county that has flipped the percentages in a different way because Claiborne County is predominantly African-American. So it's been a learning, very fast learning experience for me. And to have that group there and to have um, Nettie Winters being a part and being supportive has helped me immensely in my ministry and in getting to understand what goes on in the African-American community and has prepared me for my present church, which is an African-American church. What have you seen that really uh, surprised you or confounded you coming from Montana to a predominantly black county in Mississippi? I really didn't understand the history, how unwritten, untaught the African-American history has been. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Reverend Margaret Ayers of St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Vicksburg. Up next, transgender voters and the voter ID law. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. You have a big decision to make on November 8th. A date which will live not in, in what your Mr. Gorbachev. We will keep this promise to the American people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Hi, I'm Sam Wells. Coming up today on MPB Season Pass, Bill Wahlberg, the former broadcaster for the Jackson Generals and Jackson Mets, shares his thoughts on the retirement of legendary baseball broadcaster Vin Scully. We'll also welcome Ben Ingram, broadcaster for the Atlanta Braves, and get his thoughts on who he thinks will play in the World Series. And Jay and I will preview this weekend's college football matchups, including the big one, Auburn at Mississippi State. It's MPB Season Pass this morning at 10 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Voter ID laws remain controversial in Mississippi and other states. Some say it puts up barriers to voter participation. Others say it brings integrity to the process. A new study from the Williams Institute at the UCLA School of Law says transgender voters in eight states, including Mississippi, may face barriers to voting this November because of voter ID laws. We spoke with Jody Herman, author of the study. She says confusion between voter ID laws and transgender Mississippi is inevitable. 
I actually began looking into this issue back uh, in 2012 for the um, 2012 presidential election, and um, I've been working in the voting rights world and was aware of uh, voter ID laws, and this was quite a while ago. But uh, also, you know, at the same time, learning about issues that trans people were having updating their um, IDs, like driver's licenses and birth certificates and whatnot, um, and understanding how those two sets of issues overlay. So having a whole system in place where one has to navigate getting a corrected ID after transitioning and then having the right to, to vote kind of hinge on having accurate ID in certain states. And so I began uh, looking into the available data sources, uh, which would include one of the largest surveys ever of trans people in the United States called the National Transgender Discrimination Survey, and um, found out that through that survey that uh, there is a certain percentage of trans people who have transitioned to live in a, a gender different from the one assigned to them at birth who do not have any accurate IDs. Um, it was nearly 30% of trans people who had transitioned. So that's a substantial number of folks who potentially could have problems in states that require government-issued photo ID like Mississippi does. And let me stop you right there. I want to know... Like I'm thinking, when I got married, I changed my name legally, Mm -hmm. and I went through that process, which included my driver's license. Right. When someone, uh, when a transgender person um, renews their license, why can't they check the sex, the gender, on the license along with the change of their name? Why isn't that acceptable, or is it? Um, well, you know, that's interesting. I'm not exactly uh, sure what processes take place when someone's getting a license for the first time. Um, but otherwise, you're in a you know, particular system. If, if you need to update your license, you're already in the system. And so the situation that I'm thinking about are, are trans people who have transitioned and have ID already and need to get their ID corrected. So that's the scenario that I'm talking about. So it's so, not as easy as checking male, female box. No. In fact, in Mississippi, you know, we, we looked into the various uh, ways that trans people can update their IDs in the states. And in Mississippi, um, you know, you, have, you can go through the regular process to do a name change through a court order or, I believe, uh, producing a marriage certificate or whatnot would, would suffice for a name change process. But to change your gender you actually need a, need a court-ordered gender change, and this is for the driver's license, and an amended birth certificate. And the amended birth certificate requires a letter from a physician attesting to the fact that a quote-unquote reassignment has taken place, which I assume means surgery. That's no small cost. Now, you say in your study that there are 7,000 Mississippians, uh, trans-Mississippians who are eligible to vote, and that 1,700 of them don't have the proper IDs. Mm-hmm. What about the other thousands um, that do have the proper ID? How did they get the proper ID? Well, they either um, went through the process of having an accurate ID, or sometimes trans people don't necessarily change their names and may not change the gender marker so with the survey that we relied on asked people um, a question of, as to whether or not all of their IDs accurately reflect their gender. Um, and so we used that question 
to determine how many trans people who have transitioned have no IDs that do not accurately reflect their gender. Well, even if their ID doesn't reflect their new gender, the poll worker will use the photo ID to make sure the person voting is the person that's on the ID. Mm-hmm. And if someone has transgendered, then they're going to look very different from the picture that's on their ID. So is it possible that that person will be stopped from voting at the poll? Well, that's yes, that's what we're concerned about. And we estimate that, um, you know, the 1,800 or so folks in Mississippi that don't have accurate ID could potentially be stopped from, from voting or have to vote on a provisional ballot. Um, and a provisional ballot in Mississippi, if, if you have to vote a provisional ballot, you have to come back within a specified number of days. I think it's five days in Mississippi after the election with acceptable ID for your vote to count. <laughs> and Jody L. Herman is the author and uh, a Williams Institute scholar. So thank you very much for your information today. Sure. Thanks for having me. We contacted the Secretary of State's office on this issue. Leah Rupp-Smith, Assistant Secretary of State of Communications, said in a statement, quote, Mississippi law requires each voter to present a photo ID, which fairly depicts that voter on Election Day. To date, the agency has not heard any complaints about problems obtaining, at the very least, a free Mississippi voter ID card. Voters, moreover, still have several weeks to obtain a compliant photo ID, unquote. Up next, Saturday is the last day to register to vote in this year's election. We'll tell you how. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. It's 90 minutes that could define the next four years. Telling the enemy everything you, know you want you to do. You live your own reality. I don't believe that Hillary has the yeah, stamina. This evening, I'm going to be blamed for everything that's ever happened. Why not? Clinton and Why Trump not? face off once again. NPR will be there Sunday as the candidates answer questions from voters. I'm Robert Siegel. Join me for coverage of the second presidential debate and live fact-checking from NPR News. Sunday at 8 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Saturday is the last day to register to vote in the November 8th election. In addition to the presidential race, Mississippians will be voting on candidates for the House of Representatives and the state Supreme Court. Local ballot measures also will appear. We spoke with Charles Phillips, chairman of the Elections Commission in Forest County. He says if Mississippians can't register in person by Saturday, they can do it online. Throughout the state of Mississippi, all counties are required to be open by law on the Saturday before the 30-day cutoff from uh, from 8 o'clock till noon. So people have tomorrow and Saturday from 8 until noon. What about today's hours? Uh, Today is 8 till 5. Okay, 8 to 5 today and tomorrow and then Saturday 8 to noon. Right. How does someone register to vote? What do they need to bring to the circuit clerk's office? Well, they need uh, to bring some kind of identification, not a photo identification, just to verify who they are, possibly at most locations. Uh, some circuit clerks may require additional information. So you should probably call your circuit clerk office ahead of time? Yes, I would suggest that, or the Secretary of State's office. Uh, of course, you would still register online through the Secretary of State's office, 
You can register to vote online? Yes. Okay, through the Secretary of State's website. Right, right website. Okay, so everyone... I have an 800 number for the Secretary of State also. 1-800-829-6786. And you can call that number and register as well? I'm not saying that. You could get additional information okay. about the online voting uh, okay. registration. But let me say some qualifications for you must be a U.S. citizen, number one. You must be a resident of the state and county that you're registered in for 30 days prior to the voting, prior to voting now. And to be 18 years of age prior to the next general election, which would be uh, November the 8th, of course, 2016. There are certain crimes that you're unable to not vote or register to vote. There's a list of about 20-something of those, and I, of course, take a, I, have a, I have a list of those, and there's a very uh, confined in, uh, list okay. that people can, if they've been convicted in a court of the state of Mississippi, they cannot register, and also uh, have not been declared mentally incompetent by a court that you cannot register in the state of Mississippi. Everyone is focused on the presidential race, of course, but what else is on the ballot in Mississippi? Uh, well, you have, in uh, South Mississippi, we have our representative race uh, for the U.S. representative. We have a Supreme Court race in our district, and we have our local races for all election commissioners in the uh, state of Mississippi as required by law this particular year. Charles, how does someone vote absentee? Request by mail, number one. And, of course, you go to the office, in the circuit clerk's office in each county and vote absentee. Now, if they do that, they do have to have a photo ID if they do it in person. Do they have to have a reason? Do they have to give a reason why they're voting absentee? Yes, they have some legitimate reason, yes. They're, they're real laxed on that, I'd say. You know, people are going to be out of town, they have a sickness, they have a handicap. It's, it's real laxed, you know. And it's not a it's not a problem normally to vote absentee. In what circumstances would a person vote affidavit? An uh, affidavit, if their name is not on the voters' roll, and they think it is, and that'd be the biggest case right there. Or if they don't have a photo ID at the polls, they a can photo vote. ID. Right, they don't have a vote uh, a photo ID. Then after their the election, they have five working days to present a valid photo ID at the time. Yes. What is the deadline to vote absentee? The vote absentee is the, the deadline is the Saturday at noon prior to the election, which that would be November the November the fifth. Charles Phillips is the chairman of the Forest County Elections Commission. Mr. Phillips, thank you so much. We urge everybody to get registered to vote immediately if they plan to vote in this election. And the main thing is to turn out and vote November the eighth to exercise their right to vote. Sounds great. Thank you so much. You call me anytime. Up next, photographs of William Faulkner's home, Roanoke, in today's book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
William Faulkner purchased his home of Rowan Oak when he was 33 years old and lived there until his death in 1962. Today, the home and its grounds are curated by the University of Mississippi as a museum in tribute to the Nobel Prize winning author. Photographer Ed Kroom has a new book, The Land of Roanoke, that focuses on the natural beauty of the home's property and surroundings. In today's book club, he tells us the estate includes the house and more than 30 acres of land. Roanoke, people think of the home that William Faulkner had, but really some people would consider everything he owned Roanoke. That's 27 acres of woods plus four acres of cultivated grounds. I was fully aware people like to walk the drive beneath the great cedar trees up the sidewalk to the house and see the typewriter and the writing on the wall. Well, as a botanist, of course, I was interested in all the plants on the way. You're a botanist and you're a photographer. How are those two related? Well, I actually got my first decent camera in a summer job in Mobile, Alabama, and a photography store that was a twin lens, medium format camera, learned to develop film and work in a dark room. To be honest, my first pictures I remember were taken in Mobile Bay of Ships. But then I went to graduate school as a botanist. And so at that point, you have to take pictures to tell people, if I told you that the roadside here was was covered with Purera lobata, you'd say, what in the world is that? And I'd say, well, it's kudzu, and then you might know. But if I show you a picture, you really know what I'm talking about. So I took pictures there at the University of Mississippi, which I came in 1982. I reestablished our medicinal plant garden, and I took pictures of those. And then I worked on medicinal plant projects where we were cultivating new plants like the malaria drug that's used today to treat malaria around the world. I did that for the World Health Organization. And so I have to show you what I did in a scientific, detailed way, a bit different, obviously, than the pictures in this book. Did you start photographing the grounds of Rowan Oak just individually, or did you know from the time you started shooting pictures that this would become a book? Oh, I did not know it would become a book. This time of 2003, when I came back and could photograph it regularly, I did it occasionally before, I would go out there at daybreak, and I was still traveling the country and the world doing work, and this was my place of meditation. I just went out, I took a camera and a tripod, and I took deep breaths, so it all slowed me down, and I could just be there in nature. So Roanoke, to me, was my sanctuary, just like it was William Faulkner's sanctuary. Each year is posted next to the picture, and I turned to this one because there's snow on the ground, and it's from 2010. And I, I imagine there was snow on the ground, so you ran out there with your camera, right? That's right. <laughs> now, of course. When I woke up and saw there was snow in the silence of the snow, you don't hear the birds as well during the snow. <laughs> I said, what's different? It's silent. And so I ran out there and took that photograph of the of the stable, yes. You have close-ups of gorgeous flowers and the lushness of the vegetation and the trees. I mean, it's just, it's thick and green and really lovely. Well, thank you. I, I of course, will say that, of course, as I became a botanist because I love plants. And so, really, this book is to show you the beauty of the place. And to me, it has a bit of mystery. The fog especially makes it look mysterious, those shots. But, and it's also, is I hope, 
show you the photographs of the individual plants, which I did try to take. I don't want our listeners no, to be mistaken that this is a book of botanical photographs. These are beautiful pictures. And yes, there are pictures of vegetation, but I can see why you would go there to meditate. There are solitary places within each of these photos. And you can imagine yourself finding a nice little place to meditate. I'm happy that you see that. And that's what a lot of people see. And now the benefit of doing a book and it took me 10 years to be happy that I would do a book, okay? I, three years in, 2006, another press came and said, we'd like you to do a book. And I said, no, I love this place. And if you love a place, these are pictures of love. They're not technical botanical things. They're not how many stamens and pistols and, you know, how many things like that. They are, are really in the tradition that I'm finally bold enough to say is of landscape fine art photography, and of treating a plant, again, like a portrait that has some inner being for you. It's a thing more of the heart than a technical guide to Roanoke. And again, it's, these are photos that were taken over a number of years. Like 13 a, a dec- years. 13 years. The book is called The Land of Roanoke, An Exploration of Faulkner's Natural World. And we've been speaking with photographer Ed Croom. Ed, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And Ed Kroom will have a lecture and book signing today at the Oxford Lafayette County Library. It starts at noon. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Creature Comforts, MPB Season Pass, and Southern Remedy. Remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you'd like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi Museum presenting The Beautiful Mysterious, The Extraordinary Gaze of William Eggleston, featuring a scholar symposium Friday, October 7th that's open to the public. Additional details at museum.olemiss.edu.